This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. When a U.S. Marshal's new wife becomes the target of an online predator, his ex-girlfriend quickly becomes the prime suspect. This is the Michelle Hadley story. Hey, Megan, how are you? I'm great. Excited, of course, to take you on a wild ride today. (laughs) I am so drawn to these cases of kind of mystery and uh, but solved mysteries. I like a good mystery. I like to bring attention to cases, but I love it even better when there is a conclusion. and We know what happened. It almost makes the world feel Right. But you'll see by the end why I picked this case. Okay. It was covered by Dateline, but let me just say that I did not come across it there. I saw a news update on this story, and it was either on Reddit or my Yahoo News. Mm -hmm. Probably Yahoo, because I don't think I know how to use Reddit still. (laughs) And I went back to read the update, and then I was like, wait, I remember this case. Then I went back, reread the entire case, was like, whoa. Then I went back and watched the Dateline, so... We started from the end, went back to the beginning. But all right, there are some substantial questions here that relate to, let me just give you some of the themes that we're going to come across. Abuse of power, consequences of uh, bail denials, pretrial detention, conviction. So there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack at the end, but I won't spoil it. For now, just buckle up and get ready to be surprised and probably a little outraged. Michelle Hadley was born in Ontario, California, to parents Suzanne and Michael, who owned a small manufacturing company and a modest home. She had one younger sister, and overall, her childhood was described as a happy one. She was also self-described as an overachiever in both school and in her extracurricular activities. Michelle was imaginative, bright, and creative, and she was happy. Michelle received a scholarship to attend Dickinson, um, which is a reputable private school in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Do you know Dickinson? No, but Carlisle, Pennsylvania, is my brother-in-law Scott is from there and his family still lives there. Okay, cool. So I have a cousin who went there. It's in my home state now. Carlisle is kind of south-central Pennsylvania. I'd say located closer to Maryland than it is to New York or New Jersey, just for reference. Of course, I still reference everything in terms of New York and New Jersey, which is a bad Mm -hmm. habit, but okay. After Michelle graduated, she secured a marketing position working for Disneyland in California. Well, that's fun. Michelle met U.S. Marshal Ian Diaz when she was 26 years old, and that was in August 2013. Ian was almost 10 years older than her, but she enjoyed their first date at a coffee shop, and their romance blossomed very quickly. In fact, Ian professed his love for Michelle after only a few dates. So they began to date exclusively pretty quickly. Sorry, did you say how they met? What I read was that they met over a coffee date. It's possible that they were like an online match and met for coffee. Or it's possible they Mm -hmm. ran into each other at a coffee shop. So that was their first date over a cup of coffee. Two years later, on Michelle's 28th birthday, he took her to New York City. And it was kind of a grand fancy trip. And in New York City, Ian proposed. Now, Michelle had always dreamed of a fairy tale romance, and in some ways, you might say this was it. 
now that they were engaged, the pair began looking for a place to live. I'm assuming you're going to get into who is Ian. Oh. Like, do we know anything about him? You'll get there? Yes. I am going to tell you. And I'm also going to let you know that Michelle began to notice some red flags with Ian pretty quickly. For one, Michelle was convinced that Ian had been looking at her computer and online accounts when she wasn't at home. He seemed to know when Michelle was outside of like the small radius beyond her home and work. So if she was, let's say, at a bar with a friend or a restaurant that wasn't the usual, Ian seemed to know and she thought it was odd. How would he know that, right? Because he was tracking her, no? Well, this is possible. It seems that Ian wanted her to dress kind of a certain way and... He wanted her to take a specific job. He had recommended this job, according to Michelle, and this is her version, he recommended a job because he knew the people at the company where he wanted her to work. She didn't wind up taking that job ultimately, but she felt like it was almost a way to keep tabs on her. Mm -hmm. And again, this is from her perspective. But the really alarming red flag was the fact that Ian pressed Michelle to have sexual encounters with other men while they were dating. For him to be a part of? Yeah, specifically, he wanted Michelle to have sex with another man while he watched and filmed, which was a request that, as you probably can understand, was very upsetting to Michelle. She kind of said, like, at first it was kind of a joke that got more serious, but Mm -hmm. she refused, I mean, several times, you know, upset with Ian. And he basically said, "You, you know, you're overreacting. This is sexual exploration. It's fantasy. You know, we're comfortable with each other. And so I think that's how he kind of you know, minimized Mm -hmm. how upset she should be or was. So he pressed for this a lot. And one night, liquor fueled, she'd also been on some medication. She relented and had sex with another man while Ian watched. Now that was Valentine's Day. This was just some random guy or did Ian know him or? According to Michelle, she believes that Ian solicited him for this on like a Craigslist or some type of online platform. Okay. Now, Michelle said that after this encounter, she was sick to her stomach, sick for days, couldn't believe that she had done this. She was really upset, but she thought Ian loved her. Maybe he just had some sexual kinks and this was like a one-time thing that he needed to work out. And so she still planned to stay the course, to get married. And, you know, essentially she shoved her own feelings down as they looked for a place to live. The two found a nice condo in Anaheim, California, which is just minutes from Disneyland, again, where Michelle worked. I think you could literally see the fireworks um, from Disneyland from their condo. Now, Michelle paid the down payment for the condo, and in June 2015, the two moved in. But the relationship fell apart not long after the move. Ian's sexual kinks were just too much for her, and Michelle said that he also had a volatile temper. So Michelle said that she quickly decided she no longer wanted to be really subjected to his tirades, and only months after moving in together, Michelle packed her bags and left the condo. But things were not that simple, as both of their names were on the deed. So both Ian and Michelle hired lawyers to work out the issue of the shared property. So Ian was okay with her? Like, he seems like the type that would have fought for her to stay. Like, was he okay with her leaving? I think he was angry by her leaving, but I don't know that he fought for her to mm-hmm. stay. And I, Michelle said that her decision was pretty. When she, like, packed her things, she was leaving. She wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. I think he was angry, too, about the home. And, you know, things got ugly, as they do. Michelle alleged that Ian was unfaithful and abusive. And she sent him a very odd email relating to the sale of their condo But the language referenced God's law and religion throughout the text. So let me just read. This is taken verbatim. This is a portion of an email sent by Michelle to Ian. 
Your sins are many, including defiling me and my family with your wicked and evil sexual acts, your financial coercion and irresponsibility, your gluttony, your greed, your lust, your sloth, your wrath, your envy, and most of all, your pride. I will bring the full force of the law and the word of God against you to judge you. So this was an email that Michelle sent to Ian. Okay. So now Ian alleged that Michelle was actually the emotionally unstable one, and he applied for a restraining order. The restraining order was dismissed, but the situation between the pair was quite ugly. Eventually, the two came to an agreement over the condo, which was their only real tie. You know, they didn't share, I guess, a pet. They didn't have kids. They weren't married. In November of 2015, Ian and Michelle signed an agreement stating that Ian could stay in the condo, but he would have to get a mortgage solely in his name within six months. And if he could not do so, like if he didn't qualify for the mortgage, the pair would have to sell the condo and split the profits, even though Michelle had put down the down payment. So she was actually being kind of generous about that. So she's she would be staying in the home with him? No, she vacated. Oh. So he would be, have to oh, pay the okay. expenses and then qualify for his own mortgage. So she was giving him time, mm-hmm. six months to qualify yeah. for, you know, put it in your name and we'll be done. So Megan, it sounds like Michelle was very religious. Do we know if she was? I think she was more religious than, let's say, he was. There's going to be some religious references, so I'll let us draw our own judgment in a bit. It did seem, though, that she kind of had a moral opposition to the type mm-hmm. of sexual behavior that Ian wanted to engage in. So at this point, you know, the matter was settled. There was the ugliness, the emails, but their lawyers came to an agreement, and it seemed like it was done. According to Michelle, once the agreement was signed, she felt relieved, and she began to move on with her life. She began dating again, and she also started an MBA program at Chapman University. And Ian moved on romantically as well, meeting and very quickly marrying a woman named Angela. So not long after the marriage, this is now Ian and Angela Diaz, Angela found out that she was pregnant, and she and Ian were seemingly very excited to welcome their first baby. This was within months, just so you know, of Michelle moving out. It was very quick. So it seemed that all was well, but the peaceful times did not last long. Ian and his new wife, Angela, lived in the condo. Ian was still residing there and he was still within the six month time that he had to get, you know, the condo transferred to him. But just as the deadline for the condo sale or change of mortgage was approaching, something else happened that would change the course of their lives. Angela began receiving nasty emails from someone named Jason Ray. In one of the emails, there was a biblical reference telling Angela that Ian did not love her, that she was his Eve while Michelle Hadley was his Lilith. I'll explain. There's a biblical legend in Jewish Christian theology that Adam's first wife was not Eve. It was a woman named Lilith who chose to leave Adam over sexual differences. Eve became his second wife. But her choice to eat from the tree of good and evil got the couple banished from the Garden of Eden for disobedience, and he forever blamed her. So that's the reference back. I'm assuming nobody knows who this guy is. Well, while they were signed Jason Ray, the biblical references were very close to the language from the strange email that Michelle had sent Ian during their breakup. And if I recall, I read you one portion, but I believe there were two emails So there was some similar, you know, language, again, referring to biblical figures. And the violent language escalated with each email. 
But May 31st of 2016 was the apex as they threatened Angela's life and the life of her unborn child. So this really came to a head with a nasty barrage of emails on May 31st, 2016. I'm going to read you some of the messages verbatim with some of these dates, okay? May 29th, quote, I hope you are scared to death tomorrow. Be prepared. Don't sleep. We will steal your child and we will watch as it dies. You are a piece of shit and I hope to God you burn for what you've done to us. May 31st. You deserve nothing but a life of lonely torture. I have ways to hurt you. There is no place you will be safe anymore. Two more emails. June 1st. You might be beautiful. You might be the one he married, but you are still a sinner and must be punished. I will make sure you are reminded of your place by force. Finally, June 2nd, I know you are leaving work. I watch as you walk. Let's play a game. I'm so confused. So is the insinuation here that this is Michelle? Yes, the insinuation is that it's someone who feels that, you know, Michelle was his true rightful partner and that, you know, Angela is sitting by taking her place. And the threats are directed at Angela. And because of some of, I guess, the religious underpinnings, there is some assumption that it's Michelle. I'm assuming Angela went to the police. Yes. At this point, Ian and Angela decided it was time to seek help from law enforcement. So they visited their local police department on June 1st, 2016, and sought a restraining order against Michelle because they believed that it was her. When this restraining order was served, Michelle said she was surprised. And she admitted that she had sent some hateful emails to Ian, those biblical ones, and a few others because she was angry. But she claimed their religious underpinnings were in response to the trauma she experienced at his hand. She also said that she never sent Angela Diaz any emails. Well, it's pretty simple to figure this out. Don't we just need to track the IP address? And that can take a little bit of time, but yes, but maybe it wasn't her. Angela continued receiving digital threats, and only three weeks after Michelle had been served with this restraining order, the police came to Michelle's home and seized her phone and her computer to check her accounts, exactly as you just said. Okay. Much to her surprise, Michelle Hadley was arrested for violating the conditions of her restraining order. Why would they find? Because they said she was making contact with Angela. She wasn't supposed to contact her. So that means they found evidence on her phone and her computer? No, well, remember, she's being arrested before they've really processed this evidence. I think there was some initial evidence, like it appeared as if it was being sent by her. But as you know, they had to do a deeper dive, look at IP addresses. You know, there's a bigger trace. So I think they might have jumped the gun a little bit or maybe they didn't. Michelle's parents posted her bail the next day. It was not particularly high, but this situation was about to escalate and the evidence would show a much more dangerous plot. While Michelle was out on bond, the police were digging deep into this complicated investigation. You have to have computer forensic specialists and what they found was even more disturbing than just direct threats from Michelle to Angela. They found that Angela Diaz had answered ads on Craigslist of someone seeking a partner to fulfill a rape fantasy. We've heard of this before, Amy, but apparently this is a whole category in itself for people who wish to engage in this mutual type of sexual encounter. As the police investigated, it looked like Angela had answered several of these ads saying that she'd be happy to partake in these fantasies. 
And her response included her home address, and that was the condo that she shared with Ian. The problem was, as Angela said, she never actually answered any of these ads. But men began showing up at the Diaz home. Angela and Ian contacted the police to report this activity, but it soon escalated even further. One night, Angela called 911, alleging that a man who'd shown up at her door physically attacked her in an attempt to sexually assault her. This is terrifying. Was Ian home? This is terrifying. When the police responded, Angela was distraught, crying. Her shirt was torn. She had marks on her neck and she seemed scared to death. The guy ended up running off? Yes, the guy winded up running off. I mean, this would be terrifying for any woman, but she was also pregnant. So think about it. You know, she's worried for herself, but also worried to protect her unborn child. Ian wasn't home? No, Ian was not home. So Megan, just so I'm understanding this correctly, the man who showed up at the Diaz's condo, he was responding to an ad in which somebody wanted this fantasy to be fulfilled. Yes. So, you know, he believed that this was going to be a consensual sexual encounter. Okay. But I'm sure, you know, based on her description, he must have realized that this was not real and that he made a mistake and he ran off scared. And I would assume that when she resisted, he thought that was part of the role playing. I think so. Yes. Wow. So, I mean, she clearly was scared. She was not sexually assaulted. And again, this this was part of these listings on Craigslist. So this has gone, Amy, you know, this is something that's gone from an online threat to real physical violence. And police believed they knew exactly who was responsible for these invitations. They believed it was Michelle Hadley who was placing these ads. Okay. They believed that she escalated from sending the emails to posting the, the Craigslist ads. And one could argue that there's some motive behind this. You know, Michelle and Ian were still kind of fighting over the condo issue. Remember, they had settled it by at this by this point, though, it was July and the bank had not approved Ian for a mortgage. And therefore, he was supposed to move out and the condo was supposed to be sold. It also seems that Michelle is the one who ended the relationship. So why would she be wreaking havoc on her ex-fiance's new wife when she's the one who ended things? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, she was very angry with him, remember? So, you know, she ended it, but she was angry. And you have to remember also, this is her condo that she put a down payment on. And now they're living there and it's six months in and he's not leaving. In fact, he made it clear to Michelle that he had no intentions of going anywhere, that him and Angela were staying. So Michelle, at this point, filed a breach of contract violation. But as she's, you know, as she's filed that paperwork, I think it was like right the day of or the day after another man was invited to attack Angela, who was terrified and who went into hiding at this point. Michelle was arrested again for stalking and attempted rape. And this time she made the press. Her bail was set at one million dollars and she faced a serious sentence of up to life in prison. Well, what evidence do they have other than circumstantial? You're going to have to hold on for that, but I'm getting there. It's And it's a great question. How is she being charged? What's the evidence here? At this point, Michelle's in, in really a predicament. She's in jail. She's The bail is a million dollars. So essentially, her parents would need to come up with $100,000 in cash, 10%, to post the bail. Now, according to her parents, they had this money, but they had to make a choice because this is all they had. Do they spend this money on Michelle's bail or do they spend it on a good lawyer to help Michelle fight the charges? This is a really tough decision and one that Michelle and her family made together. And their choice was that they chose the lawyer. Michelle agreed this was the best move for her, even though, I mean, she was in for a rude awakening in jail. 
Michelle had no criminal history, but without the bail, she had to remain in jail. It had, you know, a typical tiny cell with bunk beds, a toilet in the cell where others can see you use the bathroom. Michelle was terrified. And in an interview, she said, I stuck out like a sore thumb. She was also labeled as a sexual predator, which is not good in any type of carceral situation. Once Michelle's story became public fodder, the women in jail harassed and threatened her. But according to Michelle, one woman befriended her, advising Michelle that she had better toughen up. And Michelle did. She put up a, she put up a tougher facade to survive. And while she was trying to navigate jail, her, pa- her parents found a criminal lawyer for their daughter. And they also began to do their own investigative work, which, you know, I always commend. A lot of times you have to get your hands dirty. We always say that you have to start doing the work without interfering with an investigation. Don't get me wrong. So Michelle's dad, Mike, began using software to trace the IP addresses. He was trying to figure out where the origin of these harassing emails, what was the origin? Where did they stem from? Because he firmly believed in his daughter's innocence. Michelle said that she did not do this and Mike supported her. Both of her parents did. He and his wife began assembling this information, creating spreadsheets to try and trace the origins of these addresses because they figured, you know, if we can trace them elsewhere or if we can trace them at a time where Michelle could not have possibly been near a computer, this would show that she wasn't the sender. As far as the detectives were concerned at this point, this was an exercise in futility by parents who were just in denial. But her lawyer, Michael Justy, said about this case, Quote, this is the reason you become a lawyer. So with her parents' help, the team got to work to defend Michelle. And what would they find? Well, they began to find some inconsistencies in the times and dates the emails were sent and with Michelle's location. Are they also looking to figure out? I'm assuming that they believe that the threatening emails is the same person who was posting the Craigslist ads. They did, yes. But they were just trying to find, they were beginning with the emails from what they could trace. Mm -hmm. um, And they had this information available to them. So when I said they found inconsistencies, uh, let me just give you an example. When one email was sent, Michelle was giving a final presentation at Chapman for one of her classes. So she wasn't on her phone or her computer. And there were witnesses to this. So this is not like a smoking gun per se, but it is, you know, they're kind of building or trying to disassemble the evidence here. Mm -hmm. That being said, the prosecutor's forensic team, their computer forensic team, was also having a difficult time tracing these messages to Michelle's devices and locations. At this point, both sides were kind of at an impasse. And the district attorney agreed to release Michelle from jail wearing an ankle monitor while they continued to investigate because they weren't really finding the evidence they needed to build this case. So after 88 days in jail, a relieved Michelle was allowed to go home with her parents. And soon enough, Michelle got some good news. Not long after her release, the district attorney informed Michelle that their investigation revealed quite the surprise. The emails had not come from any of Michelle's devices. So this meant after all of this, Michelle was completely in the clear with charges dropped. But the burning question is, if not Michelle, who was terrorizing Angela and why? Can I guess? You you can sure guess. I'm thinking it either had to be Ian or she was somehow doing it herself, which seems strange, but maybe there's some motive for her to be. Okay. All right. Well, let's hold on to that. The police collected a lot of digital information, and after analyzing it, they did catch a break. The police could see that almost all of those ugly emails were coming from Angela and Ian's condo. 
That's right, the same condo that Michelle owned and that Ian was supposed to be moving out of and selling. So this was quite a shocker. The police were totally thrown on this one. But here's the question then, which is kind of one that you asked, was or Mm -hmm. you posited, was it Ian? Was it Angela? Or was it both of them? Hmm. Well, remember, Ian was U.S. Marshal, too, a federal agent. So the police had to go back and investigate every report filed by Angela, every call, all the surveillance. They could get their hands on everything. They had to start from scratch. And it seemed that Angela's stories about being attacked seemed to fall apart once they were put under, you know, the microscope. How so? Well, they looked at the surveillance around their condo and they couldn't see any you know, strange mail or, or mail coming from or going to Angela's condo when she made those reports. And Amy, when they checked out Angela's background, they made some unsettling discoveries. Angela appeared to have a history of fraudulent activities, which included faking a cancer diagnosis at one point. That reminds me. Yeah. You, go I'm ahead. Sorry. I immediately <laughs> thought of and what did you immediately just uh, think of? Scamanda. Scamanda. Our new favorite podcast. Yes. Yes. So that the Scamanda was the podcast that, you know, focused on Amanda Riley's fraudulent cancer scheme. So I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is (laughs) I didn't realize this was something people really did. Yeah. And guess what? Here's another bombshell. It seemed that Angela was never pregnant. That was also a lie. Why? Although I don't know how they discovered that. But her pregnancy was not true. What what is her motivation for lying about pregnancy? And did Ian know she was lying? Ah, that's the million dollar question. So was he lying too? Were they both trying to make her more of a victim? If she's pregnant, that she's a more vulnerable victim. You know, it looks worse. I'm scared for my pregnant wife, perhaps. In the end, when the computer forensics team was finished, they concluded that the threatening emails had been sent from Angela's phone to Angela's email address. So they have Angela as the perpetrator for sure. Well, Ian could have been using Angela's phone. Okay. Well, Angela Diaz was arrested in 2016, but at that point, no charges were filed against Ian. Angela was the perpetrator and the district attorney held a press conference announcing that Michelle Hadley was an innocent victim of a diabolical scheme. I'm dying to know if Ian knew about any of this. I know, I know. I'm making you wait, but we're getting there. We're almost there. I promise you. So Angela Diaz pled guilty to several charges in 2017, including false imprisonment, perjury, and forgery, for which she received a five-year term of incarceration. Ian Diaz annulled his marriage to Angela, but federal prosecutors believed he'd been involved in this fraud as well. So they initiated an investigation into Ian's role in the crimes. And in the end, Ian was also charged with cyber stalking and perjury. So they did find that he had colluded with Angela. Now, I can't be sure exactly what the evidence was, but they, they were able to you know, bring these charges. He was indicted. And then just recently, Amy, in 2023, Ian was convicted of all criminal charges against him for which he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. What is I can't understand what 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 was the motivation? What were they like all of this just to get a free condo? Like, I don't understand. I believe that was the primary motivation, but I'm going to talk about that in theory. Yes, the primary motivation was the condo. And I think it wasn't hard. I, I would bet that Ian had this idea that he wanted to stay. Angela has a history of fraud. So the two of them together 
justified, you know, this fraud that they're going to commit. And, you know, he couldn't get a mortgage in his name. I'm sure she couldn't, but it was a good life over there. And so, yeah, it seems to us, this seems very hard to imagine, especially knowing that Ian was a federal agent. And I wonder why he seemingly didn't qualify as well. Um, You know, what was his history that he couldn't get a mortgage? And why couldn't they live somewhere else? All these questions. But yeah, the condo seemed to be the primary motivator. So in the end, you have Angela serving a five-year prison term, Ian serving a 10-year prison term. And in addition, Michelle Hadley filed a civil suit against Angela and Ian, but also against the city of Anaheim. The suit against the city alleged defamation and false imprisonment, with Michelle claiming that this case was about officers protecting Ian as one of their own and, of course, blaming the crime on the, quote, hysterical and crazy woman. Mm-hmm. We've heard that well, before. Yeah, yeah, you have. And they did. They sided with Ian right away. And Ian made comments to the police about Michelle being unstable. She's crazy. You better lock her up now. So, yeah, they were very quick to assume that Michelle was guilty. The city eventually settled with Michelle, paying her $1.7 million in damages. Though the city claimed, and they still do, that they had probable cause and reason to arrest Michelle. And they also say, look, we were also instrumental in exonerating her. You know, we let her out, we, we investigated, and we helped exonerate her. Mm-hmm. Ian and Angela also reached settlements with Michelle. The amounts are undisclosed, or I just did not come across them. I doubt they can pay very much. Incidentally, the news of Ian's conviction came on the day Michelle gave birth to her first child, a baby girl. So despite her wrongful charges and imprisonment, Michelle currently has a successful career and she helps raise money for domestic violence shelters, hoping that she can help other survivors and give them hope. Michelle has healed and moved on, but she says that she will carry this with her for the rest of her life, which I have no doubt about either. So how did this all happen? You, you asked, like, what was, the, what was the motivation? Is this really all about a condo? Well, is it or is it not? Remember I talked about those red flags from Ian? What were some of the things that I discussed earlier? Do you remember? Well, yeah, Ian's sexual fetish that she was not comfortable with, that she felt like she was forced into. Yes, for sure. And, and I do think she was coerced into it. But there were also, remember, she felt like he was controlling her. Oh, and watch. And she is. she felt as if he knew where she was at all times. Yeah. You know, he felt like she felt like he was keeping tabs, kind of telling her what to wear, what to do, sort of. You know, she said that he had a temper and that he was controlling. So mm-hmm. I think, to be honest, that Ian's an abuser from what I've heard. I think mm-hmm. in several ways he's abusive. And I think coupled with this position, his position in law enforcement, I think we're talking about control balance theory possibly here. What do I mean? Well, you know, control balance is all about the control that one has in their life, one they have control over and like control they're subjected to. So too much power is not a good thing. Too little power can lead, you know, both can lead to crimes. And I think what we're talking about here is almost Ian had a control surplus. I think he had too much power and he had no problem abusing this power. And I think he wanted Michelle. uh, I think he wanted that condo, but I also really believe that he wanted Michelle to suffer. And I think these are crimes of greed that are not atypical of people who abuse others and who abuse power. Do you think you could possibly see that or or do you see something yeah, else when I it comes th- to I, Ian? No, I think that's correct. And I think he also, 
thought he was above the law because being a federal agent, he probably thought there's no way they're ever going to think I did this. That's what I mean by the control surplus, which is why some of these mm-hmm. people like, you know, the, the corporate greed crimes, those people who believe they're untouchable. I think that was it. He just mistakenly thought he could do what he wanted. So like a false sense of power, mm-hmm. you know, without knowing everything about his childhood, it's really hard to always assess. But I think that, yeah, his position and he was a domineering, controlling, you know, I think abusive guy. And I do think he wanted to hurt her. I think he enjoyed that. Now, Angela, she's got a, a serious criminal history of fraud. So I don't think this is a huge stretch for her. She was already enmeshed in a criminal lifestyle. And so I think she just saw this as another way to attain I don't know if it's strain theory, but for her, she's just it's criminal lifestyle to achieve financial gain. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what her history of fraud seems to indicate. And, you know, uh, it's almost the story of birds of a feather flock together when these two met. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think we talk we see that a lot when we have couples that commit crimes together. It's like if they each found a partner that was not criminal, it's possible they could have went on a different trajectory. But because they found each other, it's like the perfect storm. Yes, that's exactly what I think. Now, turning to the criminal justice system, while this is a very complicated question with a very complicated answer, did it get it right? Well, from the start, Michelle was presumed guilty, arrested, subjected to the booking process, bail, and then she spent 88 days in jail. Now, there may have been some probable cause, but it wasn't much. And I don't think it was conclusive. Was it really fair that she was subjected to three months in jail? No, it's not fair, but it happens all the time. And she's actually one of, I don't want to say she's lucky, but she's luckier than some people where you have cases where prosecutors, even if they don't have the evidence, they dig their heels in and they continue with the case. And then someone's wrongfully convicted. At least in this case, the prosecution realized they didn't have enough evidence and they dropped charges. So yeah, while it's a huge injustice that she spent any time incarcerated, it, it could have been much worse for her. And I wrote down after that question, and she is one of the lucky ones, not because of, you know, I wrote the same, basically the same thing you just said, but Michelle was terrified. She was threatened, her life and liberty taken away. The impacts of pretrial detention are very long lasting. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that people are aware of that. It's a lot of what my research focuses on. And as you said, she was one of the lucky ones. But Remember also, she had to, when she was applying for jobs, she had to explain her false arrest and imprisonment Mm -hmm. in certain cases. It's a devastation. I'm glad that she was exonerated. I'm glad she won her civil suit. And look, the real assailants were caught and punished, but I can't see this as clear justice. I do hope in this case, it serves as a cautionary tale to law enforcement, some of those who investigate these cases. I don't expect everyone to understand the complexities of cybercrime. It is highly complicated. And if you are not specific to cybersecurity, it's hard to untangle. And it takes a while. It's certainly not like, you know, witnessing a robbery or a theft, right? Mm -hmm. You know, something immediate that happens. This is very complicated. And I can assure you, I don't understand it. But I do expect that we have to evolve our understanding of these crimes and perhaps understand that more due diligence is necessary before making an arrest. Now, I think that's a valid point. And I'm actually teaching. Well, actually, this past summer, I taught white collar crime for the first time. And there was a chapter on cyber crimes. And it also talks about how there's jurisdictional issues a lot, because when a crime is committed, if there's a crime committed in you know Monmouth County, then it's clear who has jurisdiction. But if you have a crime committed you know, a cybercrime, it's a little 
tougher to, you know, who's investigating it. There's so many different organizations that could take jurisdiction of it. That's another issue. And I think this case also brings up the point that we see in a lot of cases, supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And time and time again, we see guilty until proven otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's the big issue is I don't think they had probable cause from the beginning. And that's the big issue here. No, I agree. The laws on cyber crimes are somewhat new and they are complicated, but we're going to have to evolve investigation skills and and you know, procedure to to keep up with that, mm-hmm. to keep up with evolving crimes. Yeah. It's not an easy task. And I will say here that the true blame lies with the true perpetrators who thankfully are being punished for their crimes. And we commend Michelle and others for speaking out about their experiences to help others as they might navigate this process. All right. So that's where we are for today's episode. Again, you see how I pick these ones also that tend to be these online schemes. I have no idea why I'm so drawn yes, to them. but They're I, so interesting. I think that's what it is. They really are interesting. I'm so glad that this one was solved. All right. Well, we thank you everyone for joining us today and we will catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga, edited by Jose Alfonso. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include NBC News, The New York Post, BuzzFeed News, and an episode of Dateline.